0: I pray the dangerous prayer. Lord, I don't want to live my three score and ten and die without making a significant impact on this earth. Whoosh. Amen. Good night. I was a solicitor. I should have known better. I should have set some conditions on God, but you mustn't touch this. You mustn't go here. And I just said... Good night in Darmen. And all I can explain, all I can describe really, is like a, a, job, a job experience. You'll have to talk to me personally afterwards, really to understand that, but pretty much everything in my life was hit in one form or another, right down to unemployed diagnosis with all sorts of brain tumor, etc, etc. All of this was about the enemy stopping me, obstacles to stop me getting where our God wanted me to get to. It also, I think, for me, the case was also something about waking up, no disrespect, a slumbering church to understand that this thing is happening on our watch, the stuff of Christians not being able to take part in the square mile of society and to silence the voice. So God had another purpose and God is on his throne. You must not forget that and you mustn't lose sight of that despite all that we are experiencing. So I am in private practice, a therapist, a sex therapist. How did I get here from being a solicitor? (laughs) Talking about sex when do you know When I was in my teens, even my wife was not going to see me naked at all. (laughs) That was how shy I was. Um, I'm a couples counsellor, a marriage counsellor. I'm a sex, love, porn, addiction therapist, which is predominantly what I practice out of all the work that I do. It has increased significantly. There is a problem out there. What is lovely is that all the speakers if um, I always look and say where's my what's my audience what am I because I'm talking about sex all the time in my practice and I have to just gauge what type of language at what level can I go in at because I don't want to um, embarrass the people in front of me but what's great at this slot is I'm no longer sex before breakfast because we're British. It's much later on in the day. You've had a lot of foreplay and (laughs) warm-up. We don't do sex in church, so here is my ability to talk sex because that's what I do all day. You know, there's something... Oh, let me remind you. There's a table there on the left at the back which has a lot of my resources on there. There's a lot of free handouts and a number of books that I have written. I'm just starting to write a third book, something about significant, insignificant people, a contradiction, but in the Bible, we see some apparently insignificant people that go on to make a significant impact in this world but they don't often get remembered I'm going to flush that out for you there is nothing more important in my view on this planet apart from loving your God than you finding your purpose for why you are alive now on this planet in this time and it's really really important that you find your purpose and your destiny I have a sense that I have found mine hasn't fully manifested itself as yet but God is is continuing to work now I want to stay with my script because I was a lawyer not anymore and I in my practice I can talk a lot and so if I stay with my script that will help me to get through the material you will be getting the oh you've got them great you've got the PowerPoint slides a lot of what I want to say. Two books, The Art of Loving. If you've got a really vibrant, strong marriage, it can be better. Kairos, the Kairos Center, was established something on John 10.10, for I have come so that you may have life, live life to the full in excess. But we must not forget the first part of that verse, the thief has come, and truly with this area of porn and sexual material, explicit material, this is the enemy doing the part A, as I call it, of the John 10, 10. He is absolutely stealing, killing, and destroying, and we don't often recognize the way the weapon is formed against a lot of people, which is depriving them of their excess in marriage, in singleness, in all sorts of areas of life. I also wrote a second book. I'm sucking a sweet. I often say to clients, it's not because I'm bored, it's only literally because um, there's some stuff goes around, isn't there, in this um, um, colder weather. Just keeping my voice from going under. When I get relaxed, my voice drops. So I'm really glad I'm microphoned up. That's me in therapy mode and I just drop into a and how was that for you? (laughs) Um, Song of Solomon is the second book that I wrote because for years I was being told this is an allegory about Christ and the church and I kept reading this thing and I kept seeing some stuff in there that said that's talking about sex. No, it's It's Christ and the Church. That feels, and at some point, there's the King has got no clothes on. (laughs) That is talking about sex, and so I wrote a book about it that said, "Wow, God put sex in the Bible. That means it must be pretty good in the right context." So I really am something about bringing about healthy conversations about sex it is good but it's got messed up and corrupted by this world and we are called to really start to talk about this subject that we do find somewhat difficult there's a number of free articles on the back errors of pastoral workers as we endeavor to work with this thing about sex and porn addiction i think there's a number of i don't come at it from a a know-it-all any sort of arrogance of any sort i I'm, I'm not a Christian counselor. I'm a Christian of 41 years, I'm 59 this year. And I trained in secular areas of counseling. So if you put the two together, I'm a Christian first and foremost, and I'm a counselor, but not in the traditional sense of Christian counselor. And over the years of all my training and experience, I guess I have recognized some of the errors that we have made in church life as we've tried to do our best to help those caught up in this area of porn, sex addiction. I have um, written an article back there. There's lots of material back there for you, including female partners, which I think God has got a lot to say about, who have been muted because it's too scary, too difficult to say anything when they know their male partners have been caught up in this area. I call it the treble whammy. If they dare to lift their heads up above the parapet, they risk losing the ministry, losing their house, losing their standing in the community, losing so much. And so they stay muted. And there's some help that is available to female partners. I run female partners only groups as well. In fact, the majority of what I do is online. About 80% of my client load is through webcam with people all over the country, all over the world. This isn't a, a plug for me, it's really just to say there is something very much on God's heart and his ability to reach them is no more limited by being able to reach particular individuals, we can make use of technology as well through um, the mediums of webcams, etc., to help people. I'm gonna cut through some of the stuff that I, I've got here because you've got the handouts there. But can you, I was really interested that God really confirmed what he wanted me to say. As I looked at this, um, I was reading Word for Today, UCB, Word for Today on the 24th of January. This is what it says. When you violate your marriage vows, you violate God's word. Break your spouse's heart, embarrass the cause of Christ, live with the fear of exposure and trade short-term pleasure for long-term pain. So before you get involved, seek God's help and stand on his word, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. That's Hebrews 13 verse four. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust. God, I can go on to read this, but God has got a lot to say about this, this area of sex. And it's really particularly important that we recognize that this one sin, sexual sin, is somewhat different to the other sins. What does the Bible have to say about this topic? You'll see the verses that I've put there on, the, on your slide. Um, just one of them, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, taken from the Living Bible. That is why I say to run from sexual sex sin, no other sin affects the body as this one does. That's really important that we lift our heads up and see what God has told us. No other sin affects the body quite like this one does. When you sin, this is sin against your own body. We need to break that down and really understand what God is saying about that. So you've got those verses for yourself. You can, you can go through that and, and read them. You've had lots of um, really... Um, um, really helpful information this morning. What I want to give you is a flavour of what it might look like in, in my practice as I cover this topic with the various clients. Um, there's a poem I, I, I used to read, I sometimes read it, but it's, it just reminds me Of how special each individual is that comes into my practice, and how difficult it will have been for them to find their way into my practice. It's a poem. It's it's a poem for every person by this person, um, John Wood. I will present you parts of myself slowly, if you are patient and tender. I will open drawers that mostly stay closed and bring out places and people and things, sounds and smells, loves and frustrations, hopes and sadnesses, bits and pieces of three decades of life that have been grabbed off in chunks and found lying in my hands. They have eaten their way into my memory, carved their way into my heart. Altogether, you or I will never see them. They are me. If you regard them lightly, deny they are important or worse, judge them. I will quietly, slowly begin to wrap them up in small pieces of velvet like worn silver and gold jewelry. Tuck them away in a small wooden chest of drawers and close. There's just something about just treating each individual really carefully because it is so, so difficult for anyone to talk about this sexual area in their life. So when they come, there's something about at least do no damage, at least do no damage, so that they don't experience somebody who gives them an impression of a yuck type of... Experience because they'll go away and they'll close it all up in a drawer and they may not open it again for another five, 10, 15 years. Do no damage. Let me give you a definition of sex addiction that I work with, with my clients. It's a pattern of sexual behaviors which preoccupy your thoughts and are out of control. You cannot stay stopped for a sustainable period or consistently, and it has harmful consequences. And importantly, the behaviors serve a function in your life and is used primarily to anesthetize some negative feeling state to get out of a way that one is feeling into a better way of feeling. And the important part of the criteria that makes it not just the love of sex, but actual sex addiction, is that it serves a function in the person's life. What is that function? What is that role? What is that purpose? I will then spend something like four sessions, four sessions, one hour sessions, asking them something like 250 questions in order to build up a profile understanding of what has gone into shape the person that is now. Let me explain a bit more. This is the client in front of me. I also have a little black one as well. (laughs) So, if you... If you picture, this is you. The brand new hard drive, as I call it. This brain is a hard drive. It's got no data on it when you first come into this world. The five senses now kick in as you're born to now start to deposit lots of information on this brain. But I need you importantly to think five senses. Smell, touch, taste, hearing, sight, all of those things are firsts that are being deposited on this brain. When firsts are experienced by a brand new brain, the hard drive, they become pretty hardwired. The problem is, as the individual now is developing and are taken to different places, I call them different systems, church life, home life, um, play group, and as they grow up, school, etc., all of those places play a part in depositing new pieces of information on the brain. Dilemma a lot of the time, the individual does not remember those experiences that they have had. And I often say to them that the, the, the other problem is your brain does remember it but it lives somewhere in the unknown, unconscious. And so I say, look, let's have a go at finding it. It's in the filing cabinet somewhere. If I just move that bit, yeah, there it is under K. Can you see it? And that's ridiculous. They can't find it, they don't know, but the brain knows about it. And it's many years later that the brain is doing some patterns of behavior and responding to situations that's triggering, any original negative thing, and they don't know why they're reacting quite the same way. Sometimes even they catch themselves and think, wow, that was a bit, my response to that situation was even a bit over the top. I wonder why. There's stuff that goes in that we don't always know has gone in, but the brain knows about it. Is that making some sort of sense? Yeah. And it shapes the individual and can take their personality off at a tangent very different to the God designed ideal place where they would have gone. And so I then expand that by explaining. Recognize one of these? A Russian doll. And this just represents us as individuals we learn to build layers of protection around us to guard against the stuff that is hurting inside. And so I might say, stand up, the real John Smith. I wonder which one of these is the real John Smith. If I had more hands, I would take them off and you would see me going off, getting smaller and smaller. Inside there is the... Essentially, inside here is this guy or woman. But layers and layers and layers of protection are put around there that we don't often know about. And so the questions that I'm asking is all about trying to build a profile of the person from the time they are born and we grow them up to what has potentially gone in there. The 250 questions is to help build that profile. If you went off to the hospital because of, or you went to your GP because of some pathology going on in your body, GP would send you to the hospital, you would have x rays, you would have scans, you would have um, blood tests, etc. Then you would be called back, given a diagnosis based on that information. We're not medically qualified, we're in a sense psychologically qualified, therefore. We don't get the blood test, the scans, but we still need to do a diagnosis. So I am actually diagnosing, do you or do you not have sex, porn, love addiction? And it comes out of the questions that I ask. And if I don't ask the right question, I won't get the right answer. So there's multitudes of ways that I ask the question. Porn, sex addiction, love addiction is not really about porn. It's not really about sex. What a radical, strange thing to say. I'll go on to explain that a little bit more. But it it's, is about self-soothing and managing emotions. Can I disrupt you a little bit and ask you if you'd be willing to stand up for me? Can I ask you to stand on one leg, have a go, have a go, yeah that's fine, sit down. <laughs> that's really the best way I can explain homeostasis, some of many of you will know homeostasis. Homeostasis is a way of getting me back into a right feeling state. So. When somebody is doing porn, sex, love addiction, essentially they are out of kilt, they are out of equilibrium, they're trying to get back. So when you stood on one leg and you're trying to balance, you're trying to get yourself stable again because something has happened in your metabolism, in your body. You're trying to find equilibrium. That essentially is what somebody doing porn, love, addiction is actually trying to do. They're trying to get back equilibrium, albeit in the wrong way. The problem of learning the wrong way too soon because of some inappropriate material that comes across their table, their eyes, their gaze, too young, is it triggers something in the body and repeated, repeated practices of doing that now starts to set up what we call habit. Actually, it's not so much habit. Let me use the therapeutic term, neural pathways. When you repeat it repeatedly, the brain now has neural pathways. We all of us have got neural pathways designed. You learn to ride a bicycle, you learn to drive a car, you no longer think about how to ride it, how to drive, because you've got the neural pathway set up for repeated. But we can set up negative neural pathways. When I feel, this is what I do. When I feel, I do this. When I feel, do this. Feel, do. Now feel, do. Feel, do. What I'm doing is pairing up a feeling with a behavior. I feel, so I do. And one of the dilemmas really is that the person doing the porn, the sex, especially as Christians, will feel immense guilt, immense shame at what they're doing. They hear a lovely preach and the verses and the conviction and they try to give up. The condemnation is that they fail repeatedly, repeatedly, because the bit that's often missed in their lack of knowledge is the brain the body has become use dependent upon some really potent biochemicals, neurochemicals in the body. It's become use dependent on it. So as they're reciting the verses at midnight and they're trying to get to sleep, but it's just not working and they feel like they've got to succumb because they haven't often recognized the body has actually changed the body has become use-dependent on some potent drugs. Can I, let me play you a video I did a long time ago. The quality isn't great. It's a YouTube video um, about how I define love, sex addiction. That's, let's play this one. This is love addiction. We'll do it the wrong way round, but this one is love addiction. Amen. Not all of them, just the ones i really go for. Hoping for what? That someone will love me, look after me, make me happy and give me good sex. How important is the sex? It is important. I want to feel special. And I do feel special when I'm having sex, when the man is really mine. Amen not, For how long?
1: As long as it lasts. And how long does it last? Till so he dumps me, or I don't know him. Might have happen? I suppose the magic dies, and I keep hoping and believing that I've found the right ones. The Such as? Catching his or not with him, I would be giving him the eye when he's out with me. Catching him up? Not in my presence, I'd kill him. So what's wrong with just him looking Look at other women when they're with me in some bits.
2: Oh, I don't know. A look and even an emotional feeling isn't a command. Surely what matters is what someone actually
1: does. I know what men mean when they're on the lookout like that, cruising, weighing up the possibilities. How do you know? Because I've done it myself.
2: But did that mean that you finished up in bed with everyone you fancy? Isn't love what makes the world go round?
1: Not having it makes my world stop. My stomach churns when I sense that the man I'm with is eyeing up someone else, maybe setting up a new prospect. Well, you pick them. the problem. I seem to pick them every time. I want a man to be <coughs> faithful all the time.
2: Then pick one who's likely to be faithful all the time. Surely you can see the men who are not on the ground.
1: Yes, that's the problem other men don't attract me. I want the man everybody wants. But I want him to want just me.
2: Maybe you've been watching too many movies.
1: I'd like just one movie to have a happy ending.
2: Then pick the right cast. And write the right script.
1: How do you mean?
2: I mean that each one of us has the possibility, and the responsibility to ourselves, of making sensible choices.
1: But that sounds so
2: boring. Not half so boring as finding that yet another relationship has collapsed, with or without a pregnancy or STD or some other complication.
1: So I've got to become a nun or go with a rich geek?
2: No, you have to learn to love yourself first.
1: I wouldn't know how to begin. I've never had any self-esteem. I think that all that negativity came from my abusive childhood.
2: Possibly. But maybe you always felt emotionally empty, even when things were okay.
1: too much grief. They don't hit the spot in the way that men do.
2: It sounds to me as if you're using men as if they were a better class of drug.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: How would you feel if men used you simply to give themselves a fix?
1: They do, and I feel like shit.
2: As I said, you pick them. And I'll show you why. If you're lying on the floor in your emotional world, the only people you can see are people who are also at that level. And nobody who's sitting in a chair or standing up would be interested. You wouldn't attract them. They want someone at their own level.
1: I don't care if we're on the floor or in a chair or standing up, whatever.
2: Cut it out. I'm being serious. Let me explain. I love my wife for what I am. She reflects my values. I don't look to her to fill in a gap in my life. I love her for the values and interests and activities that we share. That's
1: way above me.
2: I doubt it, but maybe you haven't had that experience.
1: I've had plenty of experience of the wrong kind.
2: I've had plenty myself, but I've learned to love first. Real love, not just infatuation and then have sex, fabulous sex, as the shared reward.
1: It sounds too good to be true and I'm not sure that I believe you.
2: Real love is available to any of us if we focus on sharing rather than grabbing.
1: I don't grab.
2: Yes you do. You want the prize without doing the necessary work to get it. Anyway. My guess is that you may be a sex and love addict. That's why it's so difficult for you to make genuine loving relationships that will last.
1: So, how do I find out?
2: Go to a meeting of sex and love addicts anonymous. You'll soon find out if you belong there.
1: It sounds like a group of swingers. I've been to those parties and I don't like them. I want to be special, not anybody's.
2: That's exactly what
0: the other members of Slav want. Give it a try and let me know. That's great. Just then we'll take it on from there. There's a difference between men and women and their pursuit of of the, the self-soothing outlets. Men are much more visually stimulated. Women are much more the romance, the spoken word, the red word. There's something about... Something taking place in childhood, and by the way, most of the time, it is in childhood that the issues are arising. And for a lot more women, there's something about wanting love and affection, not necessarily sex. But men predominantly want sex, so she's going to have to when she's done her trawl and, and has found something of romance from someone, at some point she exchanges that sense of love for being wanted and affection, but maybe he doesn't stay around long enough, and then when he's gone, she's hurt, she's broken up, and then she goes back on at some point in her recovery, she goes back around again, dating sites, social media, There's just a difference. You've got this stuff in front of you. Um, Because of time, let me go back to the other definition. That's a a whiteboard one that I did um, of me trying to explain um, sex addiction using a spirit level. Interesting. My name is Gary McFarlane. I'm a sex and love addiction specialist working with clients all over the world, um, particularly online using things like Skype and VC. I thought that it might be useful to just talk a little bit about sex addiction. It has become a lot more problematic and in particularly, I think we are seeing an increase in the number of people that have become addicts as a result of use of the internet and particularly pornography viewing. It has been used as a coping strategy by many people. And I think it's really useful to think about the fact that Maybe it is that the brain has created a coping strategy to help people get through life when otherwise they may have turned to even greater and worse problematic behaviours. That's not of course to endorse the behaviours, it's just a recognition that the brain does not like pain and things like stress and anxiety and will find strategies to help individual cope with life's difficulties let me give to you a definition of sex addiction which I work with with my clients it is a pattern of sexual behaviors which preoccupy your thoughts and are out of control you cannot stay stopped for a sustainable period or consistently and it has harmful consequences. And the behaviors serve a function in your life. It's this latter statement, which is really an important part of the criteria and which makes it makes it an addiction as opposed to a love of sex. It is the fact that the behaviors serve a function. If you fulfill that criteria, the definition that I've given to you, and all facets of it, then it may be there is something of a prevalence of sex addiction in your life that you might want to get some help with. Let's look at what is a compulsion. A compulsion as a, as distinct from an addiction. Compulsion or compulsivity is a behaviour aimed at bringing you back to a baseline feeling state. I often um, make use of a spirit level. If you know the spirit levels which many builders use for making sure the wall is level, I think about the spirit level very much like our bodies. Our brain wants all parts of our functioning to be in homeostasis, to be level, if you think about a seesaw. And so when one part of our functioning is out of killed, out of synchronisation, then we snatch off a form of behaviour in order to make us feel better, to bring us back into right functioning. And so a compulsive behaviour is snatching off a form of behaviour to bring us back into a right baseline feeling state. For example, if somebody has a migraine, a severe headache, we may reach out for ibuprofen or paracetamol. And they are aimed at bringing us back into right functioning. An addiction, however, is a behavior which not only wants to bring us back to a baseline feeling state, but it wants to go beyond that baseline. It wants to project us to a place of much more intense excitement, really. As we apply it to sex addiction, It's an intense sexual pleasure and excitement. It's a state of feeling intense erotic pleasure. And so somebody with a sex addiction is no longer just doing a compulsive behavior to move them from being out of sorts to coming back to a baseline. They experience what it's like to go higher up with a more intense pleasurable feeling. And once habit has kicked in. Habit is something which we we start to term a neural pathway. When there is a repeated pattern of behavior, then a neural pathway is formed, which is what causes us not really to have to think about um, a behavior that we reach to, but the brain, the body automatically turns to that coping strategy and just does it without us giving too much thought to it. And so having experienced the repetitive behaviors of a compulsion and then having gone higher to a more intense behavior, that intensity is what the brain becomes addicted to. And because with that intensity comes the secretion of biochemicals, such things as oxytocin, adrenaline, dopamine, All of those things are secreted into the pleasurable side of the brain and in essence it is those mood-altering pleasurable biochemicals which becomes the fix which the brain is trying to get, trying to repeat in order to make us escape reality. In essence, one enters a false intimacy. Reality is left behind it is very much more the chase rather than the outcomes of the chase. In other words, you could say that it is the chase to find the ultimate image on the next page rather than the actual orgasm which is the best part. Now whether it is a compulsion or an addiction, because they are both inappropriate, more negative outcome, mood-altering behaviors, they will have negative impacts, and therefore they are behaviors which probably need some help from a skilled individual, or indeed some of the self-help tools that are out there to seek to bring the behaviors into a place of sobriety. We use the same term as we do with alcohol addiction. That's great. Thank you for that. Sorry, it's um, a lot longer than I I, I thought, but. If we go to the slide that talks about imagine this news headline, mother of three under sevens left them in a squatted state as she fed them beans on toast for weeks so that they could sp- she could spend 12 hours per day of screen time on social media platforms interacting with males. And... It's not a real headline, it's one I made up, but it's one I anticipate is going to happen at some point. You see, what I want to bring to your attention is the, the angle that says men and porn, tut, 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 but men and women doing social media for long periods of time where they're actually in search of love and affection but not a sexist comment, but females because of the different ways of being aroused, the romancing, the dating sites, etc. That is arguably going under our radar in terms of the impact on relationships. It's something that we need to think a lot more about this whole use of the social media, dating sites, to get love. And affection. Fifty Shades of Grey, normalised as a book. Us men are not interested in reading Fifty Shades of Grey because there's no pictures in there. (laughs) But darling, they've just made it into a film. Oh, shall we go now? (laughs) They're just chatting and just... Oh, 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 that was interesting. The next, and that's what us men are really like because of the visual. It's the bit where it's visually stimulating. It is porn. Before the film, the book was normalised. You could now read Fifty Shades of Grey on the bus, on the beach, as you're sunbathing. Christians were doing it because everybody was doing it. It's acknowledged as porn. It's inappropriate. It's pretty poor literature and writing as well, but it it really is porn. But we can get seduced by the world. Mills and Boons. You've got the titles, you've got the pictures there. Just innocent romance that she's reading in bed before she goes to sleep. It isn't innocent romance. You are getting the drip feed of the dopamine. The fact that you now feel like making love isn't out of nowhere. It is contaminating the marriage bed. It is no different to the man doing porn in the closed room down the hallway and she is just reading her novel in Are You Kill Joy Gary? It's something our father asked me to bring to you that says this is prolifically happening in the marriages and is going under the radar. So I have to do what he's asked me to do and to say these are destroying quality marriages. It isn't just men and porn. It is a problem that we need to look at and start to address, what are the acting out behaviors? They are such things as viewing porn, masturbation, sexting, webcam, massage parlors, prostitutes, escorts, public toilet activities, voyeurism, upskirting, which has just been made illegal. Upskirting, supermarket, man with camera, quickly, underneath her skirt, take a picture of it, get home. It's not the picture that he's captured. The best part is the thrill of trying to do it without being caught. That's where the, and whilst that's where the dopamine fix is happening. The whole thing about acting out is, it's the chase which is the best part. You see, the chase is the needle to get the drug into your body. That's what the chase is, that's the best part of it. There's so much dynamics to to the whole of this this area, but understanding it is really, really important. It isn't just about sexual sin. There's something that arguably has happened a long time before, which has set up the, the perfect storm, I guess, for some people later in life, because it lay dormant. The contact with porn, as I do the history-taking, John Smith was age 10 and he came across his dad's stash of, or dad thought he had wiped the computer, but he left it and little that, and Andrea reminds us, so much has got set up in childhood. That image has gone straight in, and it is amazing, 40 years later, when I'm doing the history-taking, Remember I talked to you about that brand new hard drive and the very first that goes in there so hardwired 40 50 years later I'm doing the history taking they can remember the detail of that first image that was unwittingly put across their eyes at age 9 10 etc it's absolutely hardwired and all they know is it gave this sort of titillating feeling brain wasn't mature enough to know what to do with it, but when they come across it again later on, the brain has reminded them that they saw something like that previously, and it it gave them this nice, funny sensation, and now they're set up. When I feel, I go and do this because it helps me to escape. The brain and its involvement There's so much we're beginning to learn about neuroscience um, and the brain. If you put the brain of somebody who has injected illegal drugs under an MRI scan, you will see a particular part of the brain lit up with the euphoria that they are experiencing. If you put the brain of somebody who, as we call it, acting out, viewing porn for long periods of time, and you put that same brain under an MRI scan, you will see exactly the same part of the brain lit up with the same euphoria. So I say to my clients, and often I say, look, I'm about to shoot you between the eyes with a pretty stark statement. You are a drug addict. You're not addicted addicted to the street drugs. You're addicted to the biochemicals that the brain is secreting. You saw it up there, the dopamine, the oxytocin. They have truly become addicted to the drugs it is a true addiction even though the dsm manual for describing mental health issues hasn't yet caught up some really clever psychiatrists don't feel it's yet evidence based so it can't go in there so you can't use your private insurance to get help for sex addiction in this country fortunately the world health organization 2000 16, I think, has now at least given it uh, a sexual compulsion definition that's helping. The fact is, even though it's not fully recognised sex addiction as a true and real addiction, what do we do with the people that are presenting in our offices that are clearly addicted? So, as therapists, we're just saying, we know it's not yet fully acknowledged, let's just get on and do the work um, and treat. I use this definition, shame plus narcissism equals sex addiction, and it's pretty much accurate. Shame, but I call it my mathematical formula, shame plus narcissism equals sex addiction. Most of my clients will look on and don't understand this thing about narcissism, and certainly as an introvert, I don't want the limelight, I don't want, I don't want, but when I go on to explain the definition of narcissism and jump in about a bit because of time, they begin to understand something more about narcissism isn't entirely about wanting attention, but there is something about the things that I do are constantly self-serving. All roads lead back to make me look good. Now, if, you, if, if they doubt narcissism, let me offer them a basic definition. You go into a room on your own, shut the door, you go into an area, porn, you're viewing, you're viewing, you're fantasizing and objectifying, and it's like a, it's like you're on a stage play. The, the spotlight is always on you. You bring in, actors and actresses in your fantasy, but they are all props to make you look good. Nothing ever goes wrong in that cyber world of your fantasy. That's narcissistic. Oh. And there's a lot more of the behaviours of narcissism that they will start to identify um, as I help them to begin to see their behaviours. Shame is a massive component. Shame is all about hiddenness. Don't tell anybody, don't share it, keep it hidden. And so, so many are gonna find it difficult to come to get help because shame is really powerful. You must never share this, tell anybody. And actually what you need to do is talk to people. Problem, our churches aren't really safe to go and talk to people about it. Problem. So a female partner who knows about her male partner's behaviours, she's caught under this whole shame. You see, this isn't an after-dinner topic. And she's muted, and she's got nowhere to go with what she knows is going on. And if she were, and she's in ministry, catastrophic effects if it gets to the wrong ears. Double, treble, quadruple impact of loss of everything. So it's really difficult to come out and admit that there is a sex addiction going on. A female partner needs separate help. Separate help. For most of my female partners, it is trauma. However you define trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder is what actually impacts a lot of my female partners when they find out. I was in the hospital giving birth to your child, and after you'd come and visited, you went where and you did what? And the photos, now I'm looking at the album, that we've been married for 25 years, I can't look at those photos ever again. I've given you the best years of my life. It is catastrophic for the couple. It is a painful experience to find that your husband, your partner and the female partner. So I'm working with females and males. This is not just the preserve of males, but it is a painful experience to find 20 odd, 30 odd years of didn't know this person. I do have the female partners that don't survive, that have taken their life. And that's tragic and dramatic, but it goes to that level. I do have the males that have over the time escalated to behaviors that have transgressed the law. And I call it the Damocles sword because the police have come, have raided, have taken the computers, the hard drive. And if that happens, Dependent upon where in the country, they will be waiting for a good year plus to know if they're going to be charged, and they've got to live life for a whole year, knowing they're under investigation. And some will go to prison, so I work with those who have come out of prison, potentially waiting to go to prison. This is a massive area, a big area, and it's something about, it is an addiction, and just like drugs, you need a higher, greater fix. You see, with sex addiction, your greater fix is the greater risk that you take, because that gives... that better flow of, of dopamine fix, serotonin fix. So, what will have happened back in earlier life is they will have learned to transgress boundaries and take risks. In my bedroom, playing with my Lego, that's a good thing, mum and dad are arguing downstairs, I go upstairs to get away from what they're doing, I feel really agitated, play with my Lego, play with my Lego until they come across something else. Can you see how, it's, that's actually compulsive, gaming on their they're compulsive, but it's when the behavior they, they, they go to has this, um this additional, um uh, what did the video call it? It has this extra, oomph to it, like alcohol, like porn viewing, because of the secretion of the chemicals, that's what creates the addiction. As they keep going back to it, keep going back to it, keep going back to it, they end up with an addiction. We know a lot about the brain, and we're learning quite a lot. Um, You've got the statistics there I've given to you. Shall I just throw some of the headlines at you before I, I start to, to, to wind down. So, to help with her 9,000 a year student debt, Jasmine from Worcester works as a cam girl and an exotic dancer. And she tells The Sun Online in an interview that she can rake up to t- 1,000 pounds a night. And you'll see Jasmine on her sunbed with her bronze. This is a student. Thousands of students are using sugar daddy sites to fund university lifestyles. Understand the sugar daddy? The wealthy um, man, and he will pay me a lot more money than... and it helps to fund my university fees. A man tried to choke me during sex without warning. And this is something about inflicting pain and BDSM, BDSM, the bondage stuff. You know, you you almost have to, I don't want to hear anymore, Gary. This is the real world that we live in and they're sat in our congregation. They really are. And decades ago, the Lord told me how prolific this is in the ministry. Unfortunately, we've got to lift our heads up and there's something about bearing each other's burdens. We don't really do that in church life. It's a lovely verse in the Bible, but we don't do it. And we need to do it. We need to make it safer. But this is not a topic our churches are yet wanting to talk about. You now become salt and light of this stuff. I can't get entrance into our churches to try and help people because this is too uncomfortable a subject. for conversations, I think. Violent, p- violent porn, now a political issue. Dopamine fasting <laughs> is something people are wanting to do. Jim, no Jim, let's give him a child's name. Little John is a sex addict and he's age 10 and he's never kissed a girl. And that is what we will be working with. I won't work with children myself because it needs a particular skill. But our children are exchanging the stuff in the playground on their phones. They really are. We can't ignore this as a problem anymore. Um, The... Department of Defense must address the porn culture in the military in the military if serious about decreasing sexual assault. There is a link um, between them. In your notes, you will see some goodbye letters to, from written by some of my clients, a female client and a male client. And you'll see the, the way they approach it. Female client was very much love addiction and how she went around um, getting men and sleeping with men and dropping them and ditching them because of it's essentially trauma in childhood that set up something that we call attachment. Attachment is about trying to find um, value in other, through other people. And so a lot of people are not really just doing sex addiction by viewing porn and, and such. So many more are much more love addiction. Love addiction, they need interaction with other people because other people um, give them that sense of being wanted, valued, secure, etc. It's not long lasting. It's like a leaking watering can. They're on the webcam, and because you're in a group, a chat room, people say, yeah, and you're a part of the group and you're chatting away, you feel accepted, you feel wanted. So, if bullying was a problem back there in the past in your life, in school, here you are now in a group of people that want you. Unfortunately, the subject matter is sexual stuff, but I feel wanted, I feel needed, I feel valued. The problem is it only lasts for five minutes and then you're back on trying to get it. it. It's a black hole, it's an insatiable. It needs a different type of therapy because it's about a disconnection that happened too early in life and then the individual goes on to do their adult relationships continually with disconnections because it's not safe to invest you fully into the relationship because you might get hurt because of what happened back in the past. I'm giving you a lot of therapy stuff. Is it making any sort of sense? Yeah. Um, Dr. Lisa Noland was really... She gave me something. It's it's an article about what I wish I'd known before um, watching porn. And I've been using it for years and it really gets people's attention because... Um, it just goes through, I wish I had known, I wish I had known, I wish I had known, I wish I had known. Because most people have no idea that this seemingly innocent thing that's hurting nobody, as they think, is going to go on to have such a catastrophic effect later in life. And so often how they gravitate to the type of porn that they're viewing is so often to do with, brokenness in their own life, the very area that hurt them is what they don't actually understand how unconsciously they've gravitated back to that very same type of thing. And despite it being painful, it also has some arousal to it. Really interesting stuff. Now, um, I haven't really covered what I intended to cover, but that's why I wanted your PowerPoint slides to have all of the stuff so that actually you can read everything in it. They're quite full slides because I knew I wouldn't be able to give you um, what I do in a day with other therapists, um, the stuff in one hour. I hope it made some sort of sense, Um, but you can tap into me afterwards if you would like to do.